It's really great to have you with us this morning, as I was saying just a few minutes ago. Particularly welcome to you if this is your first time here with us. Um, as a church, it's been good just to move around the room a little bit and meet some folks visiting from uh, out of town as well. People here on holiday or here uh, for work. Uh, whatever brings you here this morning, you are welcome here. And we're very, very glad uh, to have you here with us. We are called Grace City Church. We're a new church uh, here in Ottawa. We started in, uh, in, in my, my wife's living room just a couple years ago and um, have seen God just do a number of exciting things since then. We just love the, uh, the team that we're building with here and the way that God has joined people. Uh, to this church. Uh, we love that we uh, know that our God's hand is on us. And it's by His grace. It's not because we're clever. It's not because we have it all figured out. It's because He is a gracious, gracious God. So uh, whether you're here visiting or whether you're here checking us out or whether this has been your home church for a while, welcome to you. Good to have you here with us this morning. Good to have you here as well if you've come in here thinking that this is a University of Ottawa graduation. Um, it is not. Lock the doors and now you're stuck here. So uh, there you go. All right. Um, we've been in a series in uh, the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to take us to uh, Mark 14. We're going to continue on in Mark 14, and I'm going to read um, quite a few verses uh, here this morning. Um, we're going to start in 43, and we are going to read many verses. We're actually going to finish off at the end of verse 65. So I'm going to uh, read those uh, to us this morning. Uh, normally, I ask uh, somebody else to come and to read the verses, uh, but um, I'm I'm going to read them this morning because there's a slight um, aside partway through that I just want to draw us to to explain something that I won't mention in more detail in my sermon, but just want to make reference to as I'm reading it. So, here we go. This is Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 43. It says this, And immediately, while he, that's a reference to Jesus, was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi! And he kissed him. And they lay hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. A young man flees, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now this is the brief aside here. Commentators had different thoughts on what uh, these two short verses may be referenced to. It, it is commonly thought of that this, might, this young man might actually be Mark himself. It might actually be young Mark who is there witnessing this. But in his writing of the Gospel of Mark, which is really Peter, the Apostle Peter's story, that he didn't want to draw attention to himself. The reality is we don't know exactly for sure, but that might be what's happening around those two verses. I'm not going to make reference to them a little bit later on, but if you're reading those two verses going, what, what did a streaker just kind of run in here in the middle of the story? What is happening? The honest answer is we don't fully know, but that might be what is happening. So let's continue on here in verse 53. Then they led Jesus to the high priest, and all of the chief, chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. 
And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple, that it is made with hands. And in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just find myself, even in reading these verses again this morning, like many around the room, no doubt, just finding the weight of of, uh, what your son went through for us feeling it greatly. But God, I also recognize there there are different ways that we can feel that. One is that we can feel the weight of our our guilt and shame and trying to walk it out ourselves, trying to find a remedy for it ourselves. Or upon conviction of our sin and a recognition that we are not God, that we do not know better than you, that we can look to Christ as the one who truly carried our guilt and our shame to the cross, where it was nailed to the cross with him and where it holds no power over us. God, I pray as we go through these verses this morning, as we look at verses that we might be tempted to only look at around Easter, but as we look at them this morning here in in June, God, I do pray that the significance of what Jesus has done for us would not be lost on us, God, that we would not miss this, that we would not just hear this as, as another telling of, a, of the Christian story. God, I pray that this would impact us deeply. God, I pray that this would uh, shape our minds, shape our hearts, and have eternal consequences on our souls, God. God, I pray even this morning that there may be some in this room who've come in here not in relationship with God who would leave as a son or a daughter of God. God, I pray that there would be some who would come in here this morning thinking of their relationship with you as one where it's going through the motions, doing the right things, but not knowing you, not knowing you deeply, not knowing you personally, not knowing you as a loving father. I pray that those hearts would be changed as well. God, from my own heart, God, in my own life, in the areas where I try to save myself, where I declare myself as Savior, where I declare myself as wisdom, God, speak to me. Holy Spirit, preach to me. Preach to us this morning for the glory of Jesus in our city and beyond. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, uh, betrayal. This is going to be a fun topic, isn't it? Um, This past week we had a provincial election, as as many of you uh, will know, and we're in a political town. Many of you work uh, in politics in one way or another. You don't have to go very far in Ottawa or very far in politics or some of the other leading industries uh, to find stories of betrayal. I always find it fascinating, uh, particularly around election times, to hear how uh, various people running for office or their staffers or people working on campaigns speak about these things. Sometimes there are people from another party that kind of, you know, attack and and, and launch these uh, accusations and whatnot, but sometimes they even come from within. And when it comes from within, that's when we tend to hear that word being used. This is a real betrayal, a betrayal of trust. Betrayal seems to speak to something that happens more closely. Betrayal doesn't come from a stranger. Betrayal tends to come from somebody who is close. But of course it wouldn't just be in politics where that would be the case. There'd be stories around this room where that would happen in relationships, where some of those in this room right here this morning have very personal stories of betrayal. Perhaps there was a time when you were in a relationship with somebody. Maybe it was a romantic relationship. Maybe it wasn't romantic. Maybe it was a parent or a parental figure. In your life, somebody who was supposed to hold you close or maybe even said that they would hold you close, that you ended up feeling betrayed by. And that's in family, that's in relationship life. What about in in the church? What about in in the family of God? Well, well, the church is full of people. This isn't a political thing. This This isn't specific to any one industry or to any one institution. This is a this is a humanity. Thing. So even the church is not immune from this itself. Some of us in this very room will have stories, whether it be in this church or in other ones, where you've known stories of betrayal or perhaps have even felt betrayed yourself. I do a lot of uh, reading about uh, leadership and leadership development. If you've been with us for a while, you know this is something that's close to our heart. Uh, For one reason uh, being that we believe that God has called this church to start other churches in Canada. And that doesn't happen without us raising leaders. But those that are carrying leadership in this church and serving in different roles or leading teams, maybe you yourself, team leaders, maybe you've felt something of this yourself, again, either in this church or otherwise. There's a leadership writer named Samuel Samuel Chand. He's written a book called Leadership Pain. (laughs) What a great title. It doesn't exactly draw you in, but it's a very, very good book. And he says this in the book. He says, if you lead long enough, you'll inevitably endure the deep wounds of betrayal. He goes on to say, it's a paradox of leadership. Our efforts to help people experience the love and power of Christ create envy in the hearts of some who are watching and receiving our love. Most people are grateful, but a few, and it only takes a few, undermine us with open opposition, lies, and gossip. I have the privilege in my role of speaking with uh, quite a few other church leaders around town and hearing various stories, and and, uh, it it has always struck me just how the church is just not immune to this. In fact, I would go so far as to say I think some of the most tragic stories in our age of betrayal often involve the church. And it seems to be even more tragic because we know, as the people of God know, surely there's something better. Surely there's a better way. Surely it doesn't have to be like this. Each of us in this room, whether you're serving in leadership, whether you're working in politics, whether you've known this in a relationship, or any other example that I can give, each of us have stories of betrayal, whether it's in our own lives that we have felt personally or in the life of a loved one around us. We don't need to search far for these stories. 
But the good news is this morning we are worshiping, those here that have a relationship with Jesus, we are worshiping a risen Christ, a Savior who understands betrayal because he has walked it himself. He gets it. He gets it in a way that is different. It's not just an, oh, I imagine that must be really hard. I imagine that must be tough. He says, I understand because I have walked this. I have felt it. What you are feeling, I have felt. And in fact, with Jesus, he has actually felt it even in a far, far greater way. See, in Mark chapter 14, we see Jesus being betrayed by one of his closest friends. Judas. Judas Iscariot. You can be here this morning and maybe not a follower of Jesus. You've been invited along this morning. You thought you'd check out church this morning, but you would say you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You still probably know the name Judas. You know what that points to, right? I don't think any of us in this room, I suspect not, if, if you do, I'm going to offend you right now. I doubt any of us have named our children Judas, all right? It tends not to be a popular name in our culture. It's associated with betrayal, Loads of films have this reference in them. People that are referred to as a Judas, right? We, we know this story. We know that Judas seems to represent betrayal of, of the most harsh kind. But let's talk about Judas for a little while. Let's, let's, let's hone in on him because the betrayal that he has become known for, that, that certainly is a big part of his story, but there was more to him than just that. He was a disciple of Jesus, And he was a disciple of Jesus who had a name that was a very common name at that time. In fact, there are a couple other Judases that we know of, even from around that time. One of whom was Jesus' half-brother. So that goes to show that in that culture, the name Judas was not thought of in the same way that we often think of that name ourselves. There was, in fact, another disciple also named Judas. A very popular name at that time. The name that we've come to know him as, Judas Iscariot, that's a reference to uh, kind of two things. One is kind of a family link, but also an area. But that name, Judas Iscariot, so closely um, identified and associated with betrayal. We know that Jesus called these disciples. Now, we've come to know of them as as the disciples of Christ, as as some of them as, as the apostles. But for Jesus, they were his closest friends. These are the people, these are the men that were with him for the better part of three years journeying with him, going with him. And Judas, included with the others, would have been close to Jesus. Close, you know, in terms of his heart, Jesus teaching them, Jesus serving them, Jesus pouring out his heart to them, close in proximity as well, walking around the area, walking around the region. Judas was part of this. Judas was doing this for quite some time himself. But we know as we continue to read through the Gospels that with Judas, there was something that was different. There was something that was tragically different. I want, us to draw, I want to draw us to John chapter 13, verses 10 and 11. There's a scene that is happening here where Jesus goes, and in John chapter 13, he wants to wash the feet of the disciples. So this is Jesus. This is the Jesus that the disciples are traveling around with. They're seeing him do incredible, incredible things. Incredible miracles, the sick being healed, the dead being raised to life. And then he's teaching these amazing things as well. He's also calming the storm, calming a storm with a word, stuff. They're like, man, who is this guy? This is absolutely amazing. And they're starting to piece this together. There's no one like this man. There is no one like this Jesus. And then in John chapter 13, Jesus goes and he wants to wash the feet of the disciples. Now, in that culture, to watch somebody see, that was an ultimate act of humility. That was something that was reserved for the most lowly of servants. 
If you've ever been to uh, the Middle East and that part of the world, or perhaps some of you have spent time in, uh, in, in northern Africa or in other areas where they have very, very dry climates, and people that walk around a lot often wearing sandals like I'm wearing this morning, what happens? Well, your feet get really dirty. You ever been on vacation somewhere and you've walked around in sandals like all day long? And you go and at the very end of the day, you look at your feet, they're like black on the bottom. There's so much dirt that is on them that you've picked up from the road and from everywhere that you've been. In that culture, that would have been very, very normal for that to happen. So for somebody to wash the feet of another person, that was a real act of humility, usually reserved for the most lowly of servants. And then there's Jesus, the Son of God, saying to his disciples, I'm going to wash your feet. Now, Peter... Peter, we love Peter, don't we? We, we? we laugh along with Peter. Sometimes we see our own story in Peter. Peter responds the way that we'd like to think that we would initially. Jesus, no. No. You can't wash my feet. No way. You're Jesus. I'm Peter. There's no way that you were going to wash my feet. But then Jesus flips it. And Jesus says this to him in John chapter 13, verse 10. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. But not every one of you. But not every one of you. For he knew who was about to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus was explaining to the disciples, not only in a reference to Judas, but saying, what I am doing to you, this this work, what this is pointing to, is a cleanliness that you cannot bring to yourself. You can't do it. You can't scrub yourself clean enough in the eternal sense. Your soul is so dirty, you cannot do enough to it to try to sort it out on your own. You need to be made clean. And what a statement even to our culture today. What a statement even to our Christian culture today. Where we go through all these motions, we can go through all these different exercises to try to make ourselves clean. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying to us, you can't do it. You can't make yourself clean. I have to clean you. I have to do this for you. Upon hearing that, Peter says, if if that's how it has to be done, not only my feet, but my head as well. Jesus, just wash me. If it has to be something that you do, I surrender to you. But then Jesus goes on to say that not all of you are thinking that way. Not all of you trust me. Not all of you have placed your faith in me. And knowing the one among him who was going to betray him, that's why he said that. And you are clean, but not every one of you. He knew that the one to betray him was there. Was there. Watching this. Seeing it happen. Hearing Jesus speak. But he also knew that the one there who would betray him was Judas. See, friends, it's possible. If the life of Judas teaches us anything... It's possible to be close to Jesus, like to be around him even for three years, to hear his teaching, to see the miracles that he performs, and still not to place faith in him, to still think, no, there's another way, or he isn't who he said that he was. And as I said, as, 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 a, as a critique of our culture and even of our Christian culture, something that weighs heavily on my heart, is that I feel that there's so much within our own Christian culture that leans that way. Here's how you can be close to God. Here's your three steps to this and five steps to that and this course for this and that conference for that. All of these things that are about being close to God, while not, and there are some exceptions to this, but while so little of it is preaching the gospel, 
So little of it is saying, you can't make yourself clean. You can't make yourself righteous. You can't make yourself pure. Jesus and Jesus alone can do that. And it's something that he freely does for you. Freely. You don't have to give. You don't have to serve. You don't have to do all good works and all these things. He does it freely for you. But knowing that, knowing the impact of that on your life, knowing the gospel, knowing the good news of Jesus transforms us. It changes us. And it makes us want to be generous people. It makes us want to be people who live lives that reflect our great, glorious, and generous God. But we so frequently get the order the wrong way around. I'll do good works, good works, good works, and then I will get my salvation. Whereas the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel says your salvation is freely made available for you through Jesus. He has won it for you. Be transformed by him. Surrender your life to him. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then through that transformation, go and be a light to the world and do good works that reflect your good God in heaven. Two different ways. But they are so, so different. Friends, I want to encourage us as a church this morning, be very, very wary of things that may lead us to think, oh, okay, well, I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I feel pretty close to Jesus. This feels, this feels pretty good. Well, okay, good, but be careful because it's possible to feel close to Jesus and to still not understand the gospel. That's something that we must learn from the life of Judas. Not only this, we need to understand the breadth of what Jesus went through to win our salvation. We spent some time last week speaking about this, and the talk is there on the website. I was mentioning how we can often think of Jesus going to the cross in our place, paying for the the sin of the world and him being nailed to the cross and the physical pain that Jesus endured. These are good things for us to, to reflect on and to remember. Yes, Jesus did this for us. But you know what? Also for you, he was betrayed. He walked betrayal. Also for you, as we were talking about last week, he went through this emotional anguish in the garden in Gethsemane, saying to his father, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup, let let what is supposed to happen here, let there be another way, if there's any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. He walked all of this for us to win our salvation, including, as I said, including betrayal. Friends, we come before a Jesus who gets it. Oh, he gets it. Some of us in this room, even this morning, even that very word betrayal, it just hits, ah, it just hits so close to home. Because you're right now, even this morning, you're walking in the emotional turmoil, the betrayal that you have uh, been a victim of, or maybe you're feeling guilty because you have caused it, you've betrayed somebody else, and you're walking in that. You need to know Jesus understands betrayal. He was betrayed by his closest friends. He was betrayed by Judas. And in a few minutes, we're going to talk about even another betrayal that happened that night, as if that's not enough. Jesus understands. We come before one who gets it. We need to understand the breadth of what Jesus went through to win our salvation, what he walked in our place, not deserving any of it, not deserving any of it, but choosing to walk it. Friends, there's no one like him. (laughs) There is no one like our Christ. Now after his arrest, Judas comes in. It's dark. They're in this garden. Judas comes in. He's got this kind of prearranged thing with the soldiers and with the leaders. He says, the one who I kiss, that's the one. That's Jesus. And Jesus identifies kind of the obvious. But you've come in here like this, like you've seen me teaching. In the t- you know what I look like. It's kind of in the cover of darkness, right? 
They don't have loads of lighting around like we would have had. It was very, very dark. Jesus, Judas had to come in and identify Jesus with a kiss. That's the one. That's the one. And then from there, Jesus, he is arrested. And he goes off and there's this, there's this trial that happens. Some of you maybe at some point have heard the phrase or the expression of kind of a kangaroo court, right? There's this, this quickly thrown together so-called judicial sort of process that, that is anything but just, that is anything but fair. Well, that's exactly what we see starting to play out here in Mark chapter 14. Jesus is hauled before some of the, the Jewish rulers of the day. And there's this makeshift trial. You know what? That trial wasn't even supposed to happen. There were provisions in the Jewish law that forbade trials to even happen like that under the cover of darkness for exactly this reason. So they couldn't just be quickly formed somewhere. So these law keepers are breaking these laws in their pursuit of trying to say, well, Jesus, you've broken these other ones. Totally throwing the law to the wind. (laughs) Totally ignoring the hypocrisy is off the charts. And they bring him forward. And they make a number of these accusations against him. And Jesus is there. And what does he do? Does he give his defense like we'd see in like a crime drama on television? You know, you kind of have the prosecution and the defense. And one goes and the other goes and one goes and the other goes. Comments and rebuttal and all these sorts of things. Some of you are law students. I should probably fact check that. Is that actually how it happens? Hopefully it's something like that. I hope that you're with me. But it wasn't like that. The accusations were made, and Jesus, the accused, how does he respond? He responds in silence. Silent before his accusers. And in doing so, in his silence, fulfills a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53. It says, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, So he opened not his mouth. And then, not letting up, being relentless in their attacking, Jesus then is asked this, a very pointed question, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Are you the Christ? And how does Jesus respond? Firstly, in two words, what does Jesus say? I am. I am. Then he says, And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. How do they respond to that? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be divine. Do we need to hear anything else? There it is. There you have it. He's claiming to be God. And there... In this kangaroo court, this mock trial that is anything but just, that is anything but fair, by the supposed law givers, the law keepers that are completely throwing the law of God to the wind, they sentence him to death. Not only do they sentence him to death, but they begin mocking him. They prevent him from seeing, and then they strike him, and they say, prophesy. It's cruel. It's cruel. Son of God, supposedly... You know all things. Who just hit you? The level of mockery that Jesus went through. Yes, the physical pain, but just in every way, these men trying to reduce him to nothing. Friends, do we understand the length of what Jesus went through in winning our salvation? On Easter Sunday, it is wonderful that we remember the empty tomb. It is wonderful that we remember 
that Jesus is alive. We must remember these things. That is where our hope is found, is that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. But friends, I tell you, when I reflect on the length of what Jesus went through for us, that empty tomb is just so much brighter. (laughs) It's just so much more glorious. So much more wonder in it. Oh, Jesus, that you walked all of that, but even that that could not keep you down. That even that could not defeat you. And that you are alive. Oh, God, you're so, so good. Friends, the tragic story of Judas is, is that we can sometimes just point the finger and think, oh, what a wicked man. What a wicked man. If I were in that situation, I never would have done anything like that. But the reality is that we very well may have. And if not Judas, well, what about Peter? As I was saying a few minutes ago, Judas betraying Jesus that night was not the only betrayal that took place. Peter then goes off and out of fear, he denies Jesus three times. We're going to hear more of this story in a few weeks. Matt's going to do a great job of telling a much wider version of Peter's story through these events. I'm, I'm particularly looking forward to that. God's hand is really on this guy as a preacher. And I know that um, that's, that's going to be an excellent sermon to hear, I'll tell you. Uh, but I know something that he'll make reference to in that is Peter denying Jesus three times. Hey, hey, I saw you with him. Weren't you with him? No, 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 no. Never met him. Don't know. No, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. No, no. He gets angry. And then even a third time, no, I don't know him. And it's referred to as Peter denying Jesus. But we can certainly also think of it as Peter betraying Jesus. Oh, if I were there, I would have done so differently. No, no, I don't know. <laughs> Guys, I don't know. If I were there, given what's happening, these people fearing for their lives, would you? Would I? I know my own heart well enough to know that there's no guarantee that I would have walked that perfectly. If anything, what I know of my own heart is that there's probably more evidence to say that I wouldn't. So we can often write ourselves out of this story. We can often think of it as like just pointing the finger at these, you know, these men. Think, oh, well, they, 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 so bad, so shame. Good thing it's written in the Bible so we can learn lessons from that and think that we are above this ourselves. Friends, we are not above this ourselves. Judas was grieved by his sin, grieved by what he did. And if you continue on in the story about Judas, some of you will know how it ends. He was so distraught, so so torn by what he had done. And he did it for money. He did it for a payment. Another thing we know about Judas when he was walking with Jesus and one of the the disciples, he he was the money guy, he was the treasurer. But there's something about money that just went beyond kind of prudent, you know, good responsibility to it being an idol. Even to the point of betraying his friend Jesus for cash, for money, for that payment. Judas is so torn up about this, he goes, he takes his own life. And Peter, also feeling horrible about this, So torn up. How could I do this? How could I deny my Christ three times before the rooster crows, feeling so torn up about it? But his story goes a different way. And we need to ask, well, why? Why is that? Why is it that in the case of Judas, Judas goes and he takes his own life. He hangs himself on a tree. Graphic, horrific ending. But with Peter, as we continue on in Peter's story, the risen Christ appears to Peter. He spends time with him. He even makes him breakfast beside a lake. 
Not only that, he commissions him. He says, I'm going to build a huge part of what I'm doing in the church on you, Peter. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, he even made a reference to that, drawing a link between Peter's name, Peter, and Petra, which is Greek for rock. He's saying, yeah, there's something solid in you. And we're going to build on this. Jesus knew what was going to happen. Did Jesus pull that all back from him? No. Well, why is that? Because Jesus is full of grace. He's full of grace and he's full of mercy. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, I remember a few months ago in our life group, we were actually talking about this. And a woman came up to me in the end of the life group evening. She said, last week, somebody at work asked me if I was a Christian. And I looked at them and I said, no. And I feel horrible about it. I denied Jesus. I denied Jesus. And what a joy, what a privilege for me to be able to look her in the eye and to look you in the eye this morning and say that there is grace for you. Have you denied him verbally to a colleague, to a family member, to somebody you're in a relationship with? Somebody says to you, ah, yeah, look, I know you're a Christian. Are we even supposed to be? Oh, no, no, don't worry, don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't really matter. Have you denied him that way? Friend, there's grace for you this morning. Judas goes. He takes his own life so torn up by his guilt and by his shame. Peter ends up putting his faith in the one who did not go and take his own life, but the Jesus who went and gave it on the cross in Peter's place and in your place and in mine. Paul, in writing to the Galatians, he says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, this is Galatians 3, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. We don't often think of the cross as a tree. But that is the language that the New Testament writers refer to it as. Peter, when he's preaching this incredible sermon in the beginning of Acts, it's referred to even there as a tree. It's made of wood. A tree that is cut down. Jesus going to that place on our behalf, becoming that curse for us. So that we would not need to be cursed by God. And held separate from Him. Held distant from Him. Jesus walking that for us. Becoming that curse for us. So that we could become His righteousness. So we could become the righteousness of Christ. I know I'm hitting on some heavy things this week. Part of why... um, Part of why that is is because of the news this week. This, is, this has been a tough uh, week for, for reading in the press, reading about um, no less than three that I can think of right now, uh, very prominent people, uh, men and women who took their own lives this week. Tragic, tragic. And um, suicide is something that uh, we feel uncomfortable talking about as a culture, and I would even say churches perhaps even feel more uncomfortable about it. I want you to know this morning that if you've had experience of this in your own family, perhaps somebody close to you, if reading the the news this week, getting on the websites this week has been hard because it's brought things closer to mind of past events in your life, or perhaps for you this morning it's because, and I do not say this lightly, it's because you find yourself at times having those thoughts yourselves. I want you to know there's hope for you. There's grace for you. And we believe that this God that I'm speaking to you about this morning, that he is a God of power. That he is a God of strength. He's also a God of compassion. He's also a God of endless mercy. He is for you. 
And he has given his life for you. His son, Jesus Christ, gave his life for you so that you would never have to be crippled by fear of what's going to happen or how is this going to play out or sickness that you feel that you have or that somebody else has spoken over you or whatever it may be. The gospel is greater than all of these things. And friends, I know it's complicated. I know illness affects this. I know depression affects this. I know it's complicated. I'm not standing up here as a faith healer. You just need to have more faith. Because I don't see it written like that in the Bible. What you need is Jesus. (laughs) You need the same thing that I need. We need a rescuer. We need a savior. Put your faith in the one who gave his life for you. The one who is betrayed for you. The one who walked this in your place so that you would never have to. I'm going to invite the band to come up and we're going to worship Jesus. We're going to remember Jesus' body being broken on the cross in our place. Over to the left and the right of the room we have bread, we have wine, we have grape juice. Um, We're going to take communion together. We love doing this in this church. The body representing the uh, excuse me, the bread representing the body of Jesus being torn on our behalf. The wine representing his blood being poured out for us. Do you want to know the place of your healing this morning? Where do I find it? I've come to church. Where do I find it? In a sense, you find it at the communion tables because the communion tables are about the cross of Christ. You find it at the cross. You don't need to go up and I must touch the communion table. It's not weird. We're not weird like that. It's not like that. Is because communion reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross. That's where our salvation has been won for us. That's where our healing has been won for us. Friend George is sitting up here in the front row, chatting with him at the beginning of the, the service. He's been with us for a few weeks. Walks around with his stick. He's visually impaired. He said, George, I'd love, I'd love to pray with you after the service today or another week because we believe that God is a healing God. George looks at me and says, I believe that too. Love that. Is there a mystery in it? Yeah. But I love a man who looks at me. You know he's 85 years old. George is 85 years old. Seriously, he can run laps around me, this guy. He believes that God is a healing God. He's walking around with a stick so he's not tripping over things. There's mystery in it, guys. There's mystery. We don't always understand God's ways. We don't always understand God's timing. But we can trust him that every step he takes for us is for our good. Every holding off of giving something is for our good. How do we know that ultimately? We know it because of the cross. We know it because Jesus went there in our place. Would you stand with me? Let's worship him. Friends, let's worship him. I know this is a heavy topic. This is a heavier morning. But we have things to celebrate this morning. A risen Christ, hope and peace. And the opportunity to know him. Let's worship him this morning. During this song, if you uh, have a relationship with Jesus, come uh, to the tables to the left and the right. Come and enjoy this meal with us. If you're here this morning and you know you do not have a relationship with Jesus, we love that you're here this morning. We do believe this is something for those that have given their lives to Christ. So I would just invite you, if you know you've not done that, just to stay where you are. Just reflect on what you've heard, on what we're about to sing. But if you want to make that decision this morning, come find me. Come find anybody serving this morning. We'd love to pray with you. And we'd love to journey with you in this uh, as a church. You can step into that this morning. You don't need to go home and fix a bunch of stuff. 
This morning you can become a son or a daughter of God. So either as sons and daughters of God, loved by the King, or as those that we hope will step into that, even this morning, let's worship Him together.